Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to one spot, and just like we've done uh, in this series several times, we're only going to read one verse, and this is actually going to be towards the latter part of this message. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter 15, and the reason, I'm going to cover a ton of scripture in this message, so if your first thought is, oh, I wish we were reading more than, no, we're going to read a lot of the Bible in this message but I want to point your attention to one verse in particular so that you understand just how serious this topic we're covering this weekend is, all right? We're continuing our series entitled In This House, and this weekend we're talking about growth. One of our values is growth, and the title of this message is We Are Serious About Growth. In this house, we are serious about growth. Now, I've learned over the last five plus years uh, being an employer that this is, this is one of the areas where I, I maybe rub people the wrong way. And I'm not in bad company, Pastor Brad does too. We're, we're both guilty in this area. And I've basically learned that anybody who uh, is, is happy with where they are today and is happy with staying there for a really long time is gonna be miserable working here. Because we're really serious about growth. And not because we expect perfection out of our team, but because you're going to see in this message, God takes growth extremely seriously. So I hope that you hear his heart for your personal growth as we go through a bunch of scripture and we cover the idea that God created you to grow. Now, sometimes I hear from time to time uh, things about the messages that I preach, and I'll hear something like this. Uh, I love your messages, but I hate them. Or sometimes they start with a negative. I hated that message, but I loved it. Now, it sounds a little bit bipolar, you know what I'm saying? But I've learned what people mean. It's kind of that hurt so good kind of a thing. And I'm, I'm learning why this is. I've started working out with my oldest child, my daughter Riley. Uh, she wasn't used to spending much time in the gym and so one of the things we're doing together is we're going to the gym. And when I first started taking her to the gym, uh, how do I say this in a dignified manner? I heard a lot of commentary. Let's just put it that way. Every exercise we did, every set we did, I heard commentary. Now, I would also attach the word unnecessary to the word commentary, but she's working through it. You all know when we go to the gym and we're a little frustrated when we first get in there because it's just, it hurts and it's not fun. Uh, But a funny thing has happened as we've continued to go to the gym. We went this morning early and we're walking out of the gym and her muscles are swelling like crazy and she said daddy my my muscles hurt but I feel so good I said honey isn't it amazing that God created our bodies to work that way where when we put ourselves through the paces our bodies our minds our emotions respond positively to growth 
good things happen when we grow. Now, one of the reasons that I preach the way that I preach, that sometimes it's right up in your wheelhouse and it seems like I'm stepping on your toes with steel toe boots, is simple. I am not your personal chef. I'm more like a personal trainer. See, the difference between a personal chef and a personal trainer, a personal chef is there to give you what you want, but a personal trainer is there to give you what you need. When my daughter feels like not going past four reps in a set, and I say, come on, honey, you can do it, and I put my hands under the weights to help her get the weight up, I'm not going to let her stop because I know growth is good. So I help her in the same way with you. When you look at me and say, I'm fine right where I am, you're going to see at the end of this message, that is not a good thing. And you should never want a pastor who is okay with you staying where you are for a long period of time. It's called being stuck. So as we walk through this, I don't want you to feel beat down. You might feel a little bit of conviction if you've been where you are for some time. But just remember, God created you to grow. All right, so let's jump in to this first point. Point number one, learning is like fertilizer. Learning is like fertilizer. My wife has turned into a freak show in our backyard trying to make everything grow. And I'm watching how she is handling our backyard. And she is literally, I, I, it's like she's trying to find the line of legal and illegal, you know what I mean? And she, she finds things that make our backyard look even more amazing. She's fertilizing. Some of the fertilizer doesn't smell very good, but it makes the yard look gorgeous. Now, I think learning has become a very underrated facet of Christianity. And there are really two ways that you know that learning has become an underrated facet of Christianity. Here's the first way. Most people don't even know what the word learner means in Scripture. As believers, we don't even know what the word disciple or the word learner means. Let me give you two of the meanings. In the Greek, the word mathetes means pupil, a learning student. Our English word disciple comes from the Latin word discipulus, which means learner. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we've been called to be learners. But there's an even more obvious way that we can tell that learning has become very underrated in the body of Christ. As a pastor, I watch this time and time again. I watch people make the same mistake over and over and over again. The only way I can repeat the same mistake over and over and over again is if I am not learning the lesson God is trying to teach. Make no mistake, every day of your life, God's trying to teach you something. But many of us don't even understand just how important learning is to the Christian faith because we think, well, wherever I am, God's a gracious God. He's okay with it. Yeah, he is okay with where you are. But his goal for you is that you not remain there long, that you move on, that you move forward, that you grow. Now, one of the ways that you can become more of a learner in your walk with God is, it seems very small and very simple, but what do you think would happen if every day of your life you ended your day with this one question that you posed 
that you allowed God to pose to you. And here's the question. What if you let God in your day by asking this? What did you learn today? What did you learn today? You had some interesting curveballs today. What did you learn? What if part of your journaling process was less about emoting and more about learning? What if you started writing down the things God was showing you in your quiet time? What if you started writing down and remembering and committing to memory the lessons God was teaching you every day of your life? What if every day you let God end your day asking you, what did you learn today? Now, in order to become a learner, you're going to need to do two things. And this first one is really important, and it's one I've had to learn the hard way time and time again. Here's the first thing you're going to have to do if you're going to become a learner. Admit you don't know everything. Admit you don't know everything. Now, I'm going to just shoot completely straight with you. I used to pretend like I knew everything because I thought as a leader, if you don't know, it means you're a weak leader. So when someone would ask me a question, if I didn't know the answer, what was I prone to do? Make one up. Now, have you ever been in the room with someone that you asked a question and you kind of already knew the answer and when you, you asked them the question, they started answering the question, but about halfway through their answer, it dawns on you, this person has no idea what they're talking about. Okay, it's Father's Day weekend. Do not think about anybody specific this weekend, all right? Don't, don't elbow your dad or your husband and go, mm-hmm. remember when I was asking how we put together whatever it was we were building and you said, oh, I know how to do this, honey. I don't even need the instruction manual. I don't know why as men, we feel like we have to pretend we know everything. But I'll, I'll just venture a guess. It's because we've become convinced that you have to know everything to do anything. But when you read God's word, do you know how many people God used to do really big things that didn't know a whole lot at all? You realize not everyone was Solomon in scripture, right? But we think in order to do anything, you have to know everything. But 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2 says, anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. So the next time you hear yourself say, oh, I already know, I know. I know the answer. Slow down, Tonto. Remember, anyone who claims to always know all of the answers doesn't really know very much. We're convinced that only dumb people learn. That wise people already know. Nothing could be further from the truth. Let me show it to you in scripture. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 15. Intelligent people are always ready to learn. Their ears are open for knowledge. Now, this next passage is going to mess up some of your theology. All right? Luke chapter 2, verse 52. Jesus grew in wisdom. Jesus grew. How about them apples? Why are we serious about growth here at Gateway Church? Because Jesus grew. The Son of God. Fully God, fully man. Jesus grew. I wish that was the shortest verse in the Bible. That would be theology right there. Jesus grew. Why do his disciples grow? Because Jesus grew. 
He grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Question, why do you think Jesus grew in favor with God and man? I'll tell you one of the reasons I think. It wasn't just because he was a good guy. It's because he was a learner. And everybody loves a learner. Nothing is worse than being led by somebody who acts like they know everything, right? I used to feel this pressure. But you know what I learned? When I admit that I don't know, it actually makes room for someone who does know to speak up and help the right answer be known to all. Some of the wives are thinking, yeah, I wish my husband would figure that out when I talk. Listen, if you feel the pressure to act like you always know, just try the next time you don't know being quiet or asking others for help and see if you don't get an answer you had no idea was even on the radar screen. When we admit I don't know. We are adopting the posture of a godly learner. Now, first step is admitting you don't know everything. Second step, you got to find the right teacher. If you're going to be a good learner, you've got to find the right teacher. Now, many people in this day and time start thinking about mentors, models and mentors, and those are great. But I think sometimes we think so much about models and mentors that we forget about a really, really good teacher who happens to be the best teacher of all. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, 6, and 7 says, Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure everything out on your own. This is from the message. I love how it says this. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He is the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. John chapter 16, verse 13 says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Proverbs 32, verse, uh, I mean, Psalm 32, verse 8 says, I will guide you. This is God speaking. I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Now, some of us have the wrong idea about God. We think that he's going to punish us in some way if we don't know what we should already know. But God doesn't punish us when we don't know what to do or we don't know the right answer. James tells us this in James chapter 1, verse 5. If you need wisdom, in other words, if you don't know what to do, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Now think about this. When my wife asks me, when she doesn't know what to do and she comes to me and she says, babe, I've got a situation and I don't know what to do. Do I respond immediately by saying, you idiot? Hopefully not. Of course I don't. I'm not upset with her when she doesn't know what to do and comes to ask me for help. You know what I actually am? I'm actually honored that she came to me and asked me for help when she didn't know what to do. Some of us think that God's going to be disappointed with us when we come to him and say, I don't know what to do. Can you help me? Would you give me wisdom? Would you show me what to do? And so we don't come to him because we think he'll be disappointed when actually it's flattering. 
when we go to God and say, listen, I could go to a bunch of different people and ask them what they think I should do, but God, you're more important than all of them. God, I don't know what to do. Would you show me? Would you tell me what to do? James chapter 1 says, hey, when you don't know what to do, just ask our generous God, and he will give you the wisdom you need. The wisdom learners desire to have. Learning is an important part of growing. Here's the second point. Some of you aren't going to like this point. Pruning is a mandatory part of God's growth process. Pruning is a mandatory part of God's growth process. The Greek word for pruning is the word kathairo. It means to cleanse, to prune, purify, make clean by purging, remove undesirable elements. Now, when was the last time that God did a little bit of pruning on you and you celebrated? Now, if you celebrate when God prunes you immediately, you are the most mature among us all. But personally, and I'm just shooting straight, when God prunes me, I kind of fight back every once in a while. Anybody else do that? It's, it's just, it, it's a reflex, you know? Like if you start chopping off parts of my life, I, I'm, I'm going to respond and I might accidentally slap you upside the head, you know? I admit it. But the only time I flinch or fight back when God prunes is when I forget the reasons that God prunes us. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. If you're not taking notes, I want you to start now, okay? I'm going to give you three reasons. These are important reasons why God prunes us, all right? Here's the first reason God prunes. The branch is hurting or hindering you. The first reason God prunes us is the branch is hurting or hindering you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us throw off everything. Here's another way. If I were a translator, here's how I would translate Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. This is God's way of saying, Cupcake, if you won't take it off, I'm going to chop it off. If you won't take off this weight that weighs you down and so easily entangles you, I'm going to cut it off. If you won't take it off, I'm going to cut it off. I believe the biggest reason God prunes is when there's a branch hurting or hindering us. Pruning is God's process for cutting away anything which hinders growth. Now think about this. If you're a parent, probably this has happened to you at some time with one of your children. One of the children gets a splinter in a part of their body. Maybe it's a hand, maybe it's a foot, and you, you don't even know they get a splinter. They try and tough it out, but truth be told, it's actually because they're, they're afraid of splinter removal, uh, especially daddy's uh, splinter removal process. Sometimes that can be very scary for, for some. And so they try and hide it, but then it kind of gets obvious. If it's in their foot, they start limping, and one day you say, hey, what, what's going on? Why, why are you limping? 
oh, I'm good, I'm good. I think my shoe, I'm just, my foot's growing, I'm good. And then you kind of know something's going on. They're walking around barefoot a couple days later and their foot is turning colors that are not in the crayon box. And you say, what's going on with your foot? I have a splinter in my foot, but I don't want you to touch it. I don't want you to touch it. Have you ever gotten that before? It's going to hurt too bad. And they're, they're walking around like this, you know? I mean, the foot's hardly touching the ground six days later. I have a splinter, but please don't touch it. Well, as a parent, how do we respond? Of course we don't want to hurt our children. But what hurts worse? Removing the splinter or leaving it? Leaving it. Okay, let's ask the same question about God's pruning process for us. Which is the worst of the two scenarios? Him pruning off a branch that is hurting or hindering my life or other people in my life? Or God leaving it, things getting worse, and everybody around me, around me being hurt even more? Which is the worst of the two? I'd rather him lop it off. Now, I might forget that I said that. I hope this is not being recorded, so I'm not held to this. But when God prunes you, what's your first response? If it's to flinch or fight back, like is my response every once in a while, it's simply because you've forgotten. He's trying to do you a favor. He's trying to remove something that is hurting or hindering your growth. Here's the second reason that I believe God prunes us. The branch is covering his window. The branch is covering his window. Let me explain. We have these, I don't even know what they're called. I think they're called like bougainvillea. Uh, I don't even know. But some pink tree bush in my front yard. You know what I mean? And it, it is right in front of our kitchen window. And it's on both sides and it grows up over our kitchen window. And in the spring, this thing just literally grows like a forest. And it starts covering up our kitchen window. And what happens when this is the case? My wife or I will go out to the front with a huge pair of loppers. If it's her, she'll take the little loppers and just go like this and just kind of artistically. But if I'm going out there, I'm taking the huge loppers and I'm going to the base and I just start chopping stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> just cut it all down. Why? Because I like the view out my kitchen window. And when branches start covering the view, We clean it up. Well, what could this possibly mean if God prunes us when some of our branches are getting in the way of the window? There's one word for it, pride. One of the reasons God prunes is our pride. When my branches start to get in the way of his glory, he'll cut those branches off because he shares his glory with no one. If my pride is getting in the way of his glory. How many of you know he's going to chop that proud branch right off? 
Now, maybe you don't battle in this area. I've battled in this area from time to time. In fact, some of the lowest moments of my life have come as a result of pride. Some of the worst spankings I feel like I've ever received from the Lord have been because of pride. But can I tell you something? After salvation, the single biggest turning point of my entire life happened between me and the Lord in Houston, Texas, in a hotel room overlooking downtown. For nine months, God had not been speaking to me, I felt. And that day, I got the spanking of all spankings. He sent me to three different places in Scripture, and the reason each, each passage dealt with pride, and the reason I had not been hearing him the way I was used to hearing him was my pride was getting in the way of our relationship. God will prune the branches if they're getting in the way of the window. Here's the third reason that God prunes, to make room for more fruit. This is the sweet reason that he prunes, to make room for more fruit. Listen to me. If, if you feel like God's pruning you right now and you're kind of beating yourself up, it's only because you've convinced yourself that pruning is God's punishment. God's not punishing you with pruning. He's actually preparing you for more fruit. If you open up to John chapter 15, I want you to read these two verses. These are not the two verses I'm, I'm going to point out. I'm, verse 8 is where we're going to get to. But I want you to see these two verses. I am the true grapevine, Jesus says. And my father is the gardener. My father cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. Watch this next part. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit. So they will produce even more. Okay, now... One of the reasons, if, if you feel like God's pruning you right now and you're kind of beating yourself up that it's God punishing you, it's actually because you have confused the two types of gardening Jesus just referred to in John chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. He says, listen, my father the gardener cuts off the branches that don't produce fruit. He cuts those people off, but he prunes those branches that are producing fruit to prepare them for even more fruit. Listen, God's not cutting you off because you've done something wrong, but he might be cutting a branch off to make room for more fruit. Now, one of my favorite one-liners in this message was this one. If you're taking notes, I want you to write it down. The pain of pruning is really felt on only one branch. But the pain from not pruning poisons the entire tree. The pain of pruning is really only felt on one branch. But the pain from not pruning poisons the entire tree. A big part of God's growth process involves pruning. Here's point number three. When we talk about growth, we need to understand this as believers. Christians are called to be fruit stands. How about that for a point? Christians are called to be fruit stands. Let me say very quickly, not fruit loops. Fruit stands. 
As believers in Jesus, his disciples, we're called to be fruit stands. Listen to the very first words God says to man right after he creates him. The first words, remember, first are extremely important to God. The first of everything belongs to him. Listen to his first words to Adam after he creates him. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. For those of us who think this is just talking about sex, multiplication is taken care of with sex. Be fruitful. Gave them ground to tend, gave them the earth to take care of. Be fruitful. Christians are created to be fruit stands. And if we don't understand this, we will always be okay with going nowhere in our faith. Matthew chapter 21, verses 18 and 19, you see Jesus get really serious about fruit production. In the morning, as Jesus was returning to Jerusalem, he was hungry, and he noticed a fig tree beside the road. He went over to it to see if there were any figs, but there were only leaves. Now, because there were leaves, there should have already been fruit, but he only saw leaves, no fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, may you never bear fruit again. Whoa, hangry much? <laughs> May you never bear fruit again, Jesus says to the fig tree. And immediately the fig tree withered up. Why are we serious about growth here? The answer is simple. Because Jesus was and is. Because God always has been. And because God gave us the Holy Spirit to help us produce fruit. As believers in Jesus, we cannot get around the fact that we were created to be fruit stands. And here would be my question to you. How much fruit you got? You like that English? How much fruit do you have? I'm not asking to compare fruit. I'm just asking you, when was the last time someone was able to come up to the tree of your life, grab some fruit, and enjoy God's growth process for you? It's fun. One of the reasons I enjoy sitting down with people is I enjoy the look on somebody's face when they're eating some of the fruit some of my most painful moments in life. They're eating the fruit that only came as a result of at times very painful growth. Listen, if it's gonna be painful, I at least want some other people to enjoy what's produced as a result of the pain. Sometimes growth is not fun. Oftentimes growth is not comfortable. But the benefits that come with growth aren't just good for you. They're good for everyone around you. This is why Jesus was so serious about fruit. Now, John chapter 15, verse eight, gives us two 
reasons, I believe, why God is so serious about fruit production. I'll read it first to you out of the New King James. But this, my father, by this, my father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. The first reason I think God is so serious about fruit is our fruit brings him glory. Listen, when someone looks at me in my life, and I'm messed up when they look at me and go, no, now that guy cannot produce fruit. And then fruit is produced, there's only one explanation, God. If you knew me in high school, listen, my teachers, when I get to heaven, some of them are going to be surprised I'm there. (laughs) If you saw me in high school, some of you would be shocked that I'm producing any fruit at all. Well, what happens when someone like me produces fruit? God gets glory. What happens when someone like you produces fruit? God gets more glory. Here's the second reason. I think John 15 verse 8 shows us why God is so serious about fruit. Much fruit shows we are true disciples. The New Living translates verse 8 like this. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples, Jesus says. Now hear me out on this. This message is not about producing results. Anyone can produce results. But I believe only a follower of Jesus Christ can produce fruit. And I believe scripture bears that out because Jesus said, listen, I'm the vine and my father is the vine dresser. In other words, you can't, he says it, you can't produce fruit apart from me. You might get some results, but you cannot produce fruit apart from me. Why is it that the, that the church and so many believers have gotten so comfortable being barren trees? It's not okay. We were created to be fruit stands. Fruit producers. Now I know there are some when they hear a message like this that immediately start comparing their fruit to others and they start feeling disappointed in their life or what they've done or not been able to do. And it reminds me of my firstborn son, Tyler. I often say that Tyler is mini-me. He, he is Preston 2.0. He's very, very hard on himself. So hard on himself that right now he's actually kind of taking some time off from sports because it was just getting to be too much weight. And as a daddy, I'm just not going to watch that. I'm not going to watch you hurt yourself. And so we pulled him out for a season because he was just too hard on himself. It was all about results. If I don't have the perfect result, I've failed and I've embarrassed my parents. You could see that's how he was thinking and it became excruciating to go to his games. Not because he was playing poorly, but because he felt he was playing poorly. I remember one game, he had an error at the beginning of the game and he started crying. And unfortunately, the very next play, the ball was hit to him and he had another error. And he's just breaking down in the field and I'm crying on the sideline. Not because I'm embarrassed, but because I'm hurting. 
He was so infatuated with producing results. Our conversations over the last year and a half or so have not been about results. They've been about growth. And I say things to him like, Tyler, I don't expect you to know everything. I don't expect you to be the best at everything. Do you know what my desire is for you? That you love God with all of your heart. And that your love for him would motivate you to grow every day of your life in as many areas as you possibly can. Just grow a little bit today. I don't care if you get a D. Get a C next time. Get a B the next time after that. See, I think many of us think that God is like the divine school teacher who is expecting 100% on every test. And I wonder if when we fail a test, and I've failed my fair share, I wonder if God is that angry parent on the sideline going, you gotta be kidding me. How did you not know that, Preston? Or is he that loving daddy who's crying with me, saying it's okay. We'll do better next time. I can show you how. Listen, God gave you the Holy Spirit to help you with every test, in every game, in every conversation. If you will walk intimately with the Holy Spirit, you're going to grow. And while you might strike out, you'll never fail because he never does. Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.